There we go, crash. Yes. Good to have you with us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 15. Before we head into this study, it's something that I don't say enough here, so let me say it. It's been a few months, probably about six months since I've said this. I want to just say thank you for all of those of you who consistently, faithfully, cheerfully, and generously give to what we've got going on here. It's making an impact on people's lives. We couldn't do it without you. Many of you tithe regularly and consistently, and uh, we have such a low... uh, kind of a low profile when it comes to this whole idea of giving. We just put boxes in the back and people faithfully put money in and, and give and it's because I know that you guys are genuine Christians and growing Christians who are giving Christians. It's an overflow of your life. But many of you also not only give regularly to the general fund, but you give also to our missions efforts. We have a lot of missions efforts happening here and we thank you for that. We had a, a, a bunch of uh, folks that went to Mexico yesterday to one of the orphanages that we support and help out they did a great job. They made it back safe and sound. So good job there. But I also wanted to say, not only do you give regularly to the general, but you give to the missions efforts. And you do that also by drinking a lot of coffee, like I do. And that supports it. All the profits go to missions. But you, you give to the Dare You to Move campaign. Uh, Dare You to Move is... Uh, is our effort to try to build out and use this whole facility, 36,000 square feet. So we're raising money so that we can do that, we can make more room, we've just been busting at the seams since we've moved into this building. And so you are helping us to do that as quick as we can. If you're not familiar with it, you can go online to our website and on the banner, the sliding banners, if you'll click the DYTM 2.5, it'll take you to a back page and tell you a lot about it. Or you can pick up a brochure in the foyer information area and maybe even look at this uh, and consider maybe giving a one-time amount or a monthly amount as many people are doing. Thank you so much for what you're doing. This is our relationships teaching series, A Mess Worth Making. So the first week of this series, we talked about conflict, the root of conflict. Second week, we talked about conflict resolution. Third week, we talked about boundaries. Last weekend, we talked about communication and guess what we're going to talk about today? Crazy makers, <laughs> difficult people. You got a few of those? How many of you say you got a few difficult people in your life? Don't point them out right now, but uh, just, uh, yeah, I think we all do. We all have some difficult people. And so here's what I find interesting. If you ever hear someone say that the Bible is a book of pious, stained glass people who don't reflect the real world, it's obvious that they haven't read the Bible. And in fact, let me just give you, uh, here's a quick summary, and this is just in the book of Genesis. I mean, we'd be all day just talking about the messed up people in the book of Genesis, and that's the first book of the Bible. But here's, let me just start here. Cain is jealous of Abel and kills him. Lamech introduces polygamy to the world. Noah, the most righteous man of his generation, gets drunk, naked, and curses his own grandson. Lot... When his home is surrounded by residents of Sodom who want to violate his visitors, offers instead that they can have sex with his daughters. Later on, his daughters get him drunk and get impregnated by him, and Lot is the most righteous man in Sodom. 
Abraham plays favorites between his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, and they're estranged. Isaac plays favorites between his sons, Jacob and Esau, and they're bitter enemies for 20 years. Jacob plays favorites between Joseph and his 11 sons, and the brother and the brothers want to kill Joseph and end up selling him into slavery. And you're probably saying, okay, 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 we get the point. We understand enough already. I mean, we could continue on. And, and this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning of the book of Genesis. And the writer of this says, he says, as he hits kind of the end here of this, he says, and these people need a therapist. <laughs> these are not the Waltons. They need Dr. Phil, Dr. Laura, Dr. Ruth, Dr. Spock, Dr. Seuss. They need somebody. Feel any, feel any better about your family? Yeah, yeah, take a look at your sermon notes, part of the intro. When we enter relationships with the illusion that people are normal, we set ourselves up for disillusionment. People are normal until you get to know them. That's scary. And in fact, next thought on your notes there, everybody is somebody's difficult person. Everybody is somebody's difficult person. Just to make sure we're getting that point, we're kind of leveling the playing field here, okay? Just make sure. And so I want you to turn to the folks sitting around you and say, you are somebody's difficult person. Real quick, do that. Anybody find a little bit of delight in that, huh? In fact, some of you, I think I heard some of you actually say, you're my difficult person. In fact, if my wife was right here, she'd be going, you're my difficult person. And I'd say, well, you're my difficult person. And so, yeah, everybody is somebody's difficult person. And if we respond unwisely, we can make difficult people more difficult. Now, remember this. You've heard me say this a lot. We've been saying it kind of throughout this series. Relationships don't put us in conflict with others as much as they put us in conflict with our sinful nature. So this is where we're going. I'm going to give you, first of all, and you can see this on your notes, uh, we're going to give you the types of difficult people. We're going to go through this list now. As we go through this list of difficult people, don't be thinking about all the people you're sitting around, okay? Think about yourself, okay? First of all, think about yourself where you land on the list, but then you can also think about the people that are within your circle of touch or influence or the people that you hang out with, okay? That's appropriate. So we're going to look at types of difficult people, and then we're going to talk about how to deal with dif difficult people. I'll give you some steps on what you need to do so that we're learning how to respond appropriately to the difficult people in our lives. But before we do that, let's uh, begin with prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray once again. Father, we are delighted to be here today. We love you. We love your presence and Father God, help us to see that this Bible study is not so much about changing others as much as it is about changing us. Help us to see that, that as we deal with difficult people, no matter how difficult they may be, we are looking in a mirror, and if we, unlike the people we see, have been granted repentance leads to life or to a knowledge of the truth. We have only you, Father, to think. So we pray through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, grant us repentance and knowledge of the truth. For your glory and our joy, in Jesus' name, we pray these things. And everyone said, 
Amen. Take a look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 is where I wanted you to, to go to. These are absolutely amazing verses. I mean, I, I just love these verses. If you want to understand what should be motivating us as believers, it's found right here. Notice what he says here, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. For the love of Christ controls us. Stop there just for a minute, look up here. This is what you've got to understand as it relates to this, is that he's really helping us to understand. And, and this is what you need to know, is that the Christian life is not a morally restrained will through fear and pride. It's a supernaturally transformed heart by God's amazing love. That when your heart is smitten, captivated, overwhelmed by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is. Oh my goodness, game over, you're never the same. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, for the love of Christ controls us. And then he goes on to explain what that means. Because we have concluded this. This is what he's saying. What I'm about to tell you is not just clear to our minds, it's real to our hearts. It's one thing to know that God loves you. It's altogether another to have it deep within your heart to experience his love regularly. And he goes on to explain this because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Who's the one? Jesus, yeah. That Jesus has died for all, therefore all have died. Substitutionary atonement. It's what happens when we get baptized. We're identifying with the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What he did, he did for us. And he received our sinfulness. We receive his righteousness. We stand in in righteousness before God, fully accepted before the Father God through the work of Jesus. Notice as he continues on, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. So that's the essence of sin is to live for yourself. It's self-absorption, self-centeredness. Life's all about me. Yeah, that's, that's it. But, he, but we no longer live for ourselves. We're taken out of ourselves. The reason why we live for ourselves is because we're empty. We're empty on the inside. We're trying to fill up that void inside of us because we're spiritually alienated, which creates a psychological alienation within us, and immediately it creates, it's going to create a social alienation because we're going to try to use others and things in our life to try to fill the void that only God can fill. And so those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. By the way, the context of this verse, you guys familiar with 2 Corinthians 5.17? That's, that's one of those memory verses where it says, those that are in Christ have become a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. It's in that context. And uh, there's a number of other just wonderful verses right there. Here, here's the point. Infinite love and unimaginable pleasures are available to those who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm more convinced of this than ever before, that there is no pleasure on earth that compares to knowing and experiencing God's boundless and irresistible love through Christ. No pleasure on earth compares to that. And when you begin to live in the reality of that, the more you are captivated and overwhelmed and enthralled by the love of Christ, the less you'll be self-absorbed and a difficult person. So what we're talking about here is uh, how, not only how you deal with the difficult people in your life, but how do you keep from being a difficult person. You become a difficult per person in direct proportion to not living in the reality of being controlled by his love. 
And that's what others need. As you're dealing with them, that's what they need as much as you need it. And so that's part of it. So let's, let's talk about types of difficult people. You ready to write? Here we go. Keep in mind, look at yourself first, and then you can think about those that are in your life. So types of difficult people. Here's the first one, the critic. Constantly complains and gives unwanted advice. You have a few of those in your life? Oh boy, they're fun. Yes, sir. And by the way, let's walk through this with the verse that we read and we studied last weekend. Luke 6, 45. It says, out of the abundance of the heart, what? What happens? Anybody? Anybody know that verse? We talked about it last week. Out of the abundance of the heart, the, the mouth speaks. Yes. The mouth speaks. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when you have a critic, constantly complains and gives unwanted advice, critical words come from a bitter heart. A bitter heart. Now, if you want to know a little bit more about that combination between the, uh, the heart and words, words are a window into the heart, you can uh, download, listen to the message from last week on communication as we go into that more detail. I'll try to give you a little bit as we work through that. So there's the, the critic. The next one is the martyr. Forever the victim and full of self-pity. Now, this person is uh, boasting in how much they have suffered, and that comes from a heart of self-pity. I deserve admiration because of how much I've suffered. That's what's going on with this person. Now, by the way, you need to keep in mind that, that pride, self-absorption, as we were talking about, as we're living for ourselves, there's, there's the flip side. There's two sides of that same coin. The one side is boasting in, in, boasting in the fact of how much I've accomplished. I deserve admiration because of how much I've accomplished. But the flip side of that is self-pity. Boasting in how much I've suffered. I deserve admiration because of how much I've suffered. That's, that's that self-pity. And that's the martyr complex. The next one is the wet blanket. They're pessimistic and automatically negative. The glass is half empty kind of people. Always see the negative side. You say something positive and they'll counter it with a negative. You know, they, they get a good job and you say, hey, that's wonderful, you got a good job. Yeah, but. And they'll counter it with something that's, that's very negative. That's the wet blanket. Negative words come from a fearful heart. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't uh, be in touch with reality, and there are so many of, there's a lot of negative things in our life, but it tells us in 2 Corinthians 6.10, yes, we are sorrowful when we're in touch with the reality of all the negativity around us, but we're always rejoicing because we're seeing all the negativity through the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. And so, we're just talking about someone that's always negative and there's no rejoicing. Here's the next one, steamroller, blindly insensitive to others. So you got the critic, the martyr, the wet blanket, and the steamroller, blindly insensitive to others. These people just say whatever is on their mind without much thought. Now, if you're having a party, these are the people you want to invite to your party. <laughs> They're fun. I love them. Then you probably have to kick them out of your house before it gets too late. But no, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. And, and these are the overactive words. We talked about it last weekend with our communication. Overactive words come from an unsettled heart. An unsettled heart. That's that steamroller, just blindly insensitive to others. And then you got the control freak. They're unable to let go and let be. Now, these are people that are obnoxious, tenacious, invasive, obsessive, perfectionistic, critical, irritable. And so these obnoxious, tenacious, invasive, obsessive, perfectionistic, critical, irritable, demanding words and actions come from what kind of a heart? Come from a guilty heart. 
They can also come from really an uncontrolled heart. Uncontrolled heart meaning, as it tells us in Proverbs 4.23, above all else guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. These people tend to build their, their, their happiness on their circumstances and the people in their life. So if these people will jump through their hoops for them or their circumstances are, are going well, they feel better about themselves. So they're doing all they can to enhance their circumstances or to get people to do what they want them to do so they can feel better about themselves because they can't control what's going on inside of them. That's why the Bible said, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. So your happiness has to be based on Christ regardless of the people, things, and circumstances of your life. But so control freaks are trying to control anything and everything outside of them because they can't handle the inside of them. The next one is a cold shoulder. Disengages and avoids contact. This is uh, someone who's impersonal, indifferent, emotionless, unresponsive. Uh, those kind of words and actions come from a, someone that gives you a cold shoulder. What kind of a heart would that come from? It comes from a broken heart or a shame-filled heart. So here's what happens oftentimes is when we get blasted by life, we get hurt in relationships. Instead of learning good, healthy boundaries, we talked about that a few weeks ago too, where boundaries will let the good in and keep the bad out, we just build walls. And, and walls, yeah, walls will keep you from, from being hurt. Walls will keep you from being hurt, but they'll also keep you from being healed. It just keeps everybody out. So you've got to be able to learn to make the distinction. Boundaries will let the good in and keep the bad out. And uh, to where sometimes when we get hurt, we just shut down completely. And so that's because of a broken heart, or it could be a shame-filled heart. Man, I don't want to open up to anybody. I just, I don't feel good about myself. I, and, and that's someone who's, they've got guilt and shame, which we all do, but they're not, they're not going to the cross to have that remedied. And they don't know what to do with it, and so they're not going to tell anybody about what's going on in their life. And so that's the cold shoulder. And then you've got the volcano. Oh, yes. Build steam and is ready to erupt. Harsh words come from what kind of a heart? An angry heart. Harsh words come from an angry heart. This is anger mismanagement, and this is what I struggled with for years. It was anger mis mismanagement, and initially I was kind of a, uh, a bit of a volcano, but I was actually more of a, I was open in my aggression. We talked a lot about this a few weeks back, but uh, I was open in my aggression, and then I realized that's not right, and then I became very closed in my aggression, and I tended to stuff it, and, and boy, that just set me up that much more, not realizing that I was on the edge, not knowing where the edge was, and that just the slightest little thing would, would cause me to erupt, and it wasn't that they caused me to erupt, it was just that I wasn't managing my anger appropriately. That's anger mismanagement, so if you oftentimes notice that all of a sudden you just erupt, and you just la lava all over everybody, scorching them to death, and then you feel good, but they're all burned up. Um, that's, a, that's a mismanagement of your anger, if it's, if it's that. So harsh words come from an angry heart. This is anger mismanagement. And then you got the sponge. Sponge is constantly in need, but gives nothing back. This is the clinging, stifling, needy, and they're also guilt-inducing. They make you feel really bad if you're not meeting their needs and always there for them at their beckoning call. And so they're clingy, stifling, needy, guilt-inducing, smothering. Their words and actions come from a codependent heart. It's a, 
I need you to be complete kind of heart. And then we, we didn't, you know, I, I just picked out some of the, the ones that most relate to me and relate to those that are closest, closest to me. But here's, we could continue on with the list with the gossip, the backstabber, the green-eyed monster, the flirt, the workhorse, the competitor, the chameleon. These are all from the book by Les Parrott, high-maintenance relationships. He goes into detail over each one of those. I found it really uh, quite helpful. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to look over that list and which of those are your kind of natural inclination towards in your uh, coping with life. These are all kind of coping mechanisms that we all kind of fall prey to. So which ones are yours? And as you're kind of thinking about yours, let me just share with you Nancy's here. Um, (laughs) She's not in here. So let me just, and I can point hers out much better than I can point mine out, okay? And she could probably point mine out better than she could point hers out, okay? But, uh, but here, here's Nancy's. Go ahead and write some notes and uh, hold this against her. Make sure you tell her. No, I won't tell, tell you hers. But let me tell you mine. Um, here's, here's mine, critic. I can fall prey to that one. Control freak. Thank you very much. How about the volcano? And then also the workhorse. Those are the ones. Those are kind of all coping mechanisms. What about you? We're going to go ahead and open up the mic here this morning and we'll have you come on up. (laughs) Which side do we want to start on here? Over there? Okay, they, they said over here. So you need to be able to identify these within your own life. That, that would be the first step. And then you can identify those in other people's life. We kind of like identifying what's in other people's lives more so than what we uh, identify in our own lives. So we've got to really uh, kind of look at our lives and see what God wants to do as a result of that. Now let's talk about how to deal with difficult people. Here's the first thing. Number one, don't take personal offense. And that's the very first thing that we typically do when we're dealing with difficult people, impossible people, crazy makers in our lives. We take personal offense. Proverbs 12:16 says, the vexation of a fool is known at once. What in the world is vexation? I have no idea. I didn't take enough time out to, to look that word up. Actually, it's, it means offense. <laughs> it just means offense. So the offense of a fool is known at once. In other words, it's saying here, fools are oversensitive. So if you find yourself just getting, you, you know, people say something to you and you're just offended almost immediately. Just the way someone looks at I can't believe that they're looking at me like that. The Bible, say, the Bible would say, you're a fool. I didn't say that. The Bible said that. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Don't take offense at me. The Bible. So it just says you're a fool. And then notice what it says. But the prudent or the wise ignores an insult. How many would say that if you want to be married for a real, real long time, you probably need to practice that verse right here? Okay? <laughs> Hey, by the way, if you want to be involved in ministry for a real long time, if you want to minister to people, you better be practicing that verse. You can't be easily, you know, hypersensitive about offenses. And uh, here's the next verse, 1911, Proverbs 1911. Good sense, wisdom, makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory, or some translations say, it is to his glory to overlook an offense. I love that. That's great. You understand what glory is. Glory is weight, significance, importance. So this is a person that their sense of weight, significance, importance, their sense of security and significance is actually coming from God. It's not coming from what people say about them. I struggled with that for years. I was such a people pleaser that when someone would say something or look at me cross-eyed, I'd be like, ah. I'd be, ah. And I, would, and I realized, wait a minute, that's not putting, I don't, I'm not getting my sense of identity from Christ. I'm not coming back to 
for the love of Christ controls us, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, all the way to 15. I'm not living in the reality of that. Otherwise, I would be able to overlook that offense. Now, there's a lot of things that we should be offended by, racism, injustice, sex, trafficking. Yeah, those are the things that we should be offended by. But these verses are telling us not to be offended by difficult people. And one of the keys to happiness in life, one of the keys, actually there are probably two keys, but one of the keys in, in, to happiness in life is tender heart and a tough hide. A tender heart and a tough hide. We tend to have the opposite of that. We have a tough heart and a tender hide, don't we? If you want to find happiness in life, if you want to have a long, satisfying marriage, if you want to be involved in ministry and really make an impact in people's lives, if you just want to be successful in life, if you want to have happiness in life, you need to have a tender heart and a tough hide. In fact, your spiritual and emotional maturity is largely revealed by how you respond to difficult people in your life. Think about that just for a minute. So your spiritual and emotional maturity is revealed by how you respond to the crazy makers in your life, the, the impossible people that you're dealing with. In fact, how you treat those who mistreat and misunderstand you tells you a lot about you. Tells you a lot about you. And this is what should happen. When you encounter someone that's difficult, the first thing that should come to mind and as you're learning to respond to them is that, why is this person able to push my buttons? Why is this person able to rattle my cage, get under my skin? That should be the first question. Is it fear? Is it frustration? Is it hurt? A few weeks ago, we talked about anger. In anger, when we express anger, when someone pushes your buttons, that's, that's an expression of anger. And so anger is really defending something that is good and trying to destroy something that's bad. So what are you defending and what are you trying to destroy? This is really good and I'm going to destroy anything or anybody that interferes with that. So what is it? What is it that's so important to you? That'd be a great question. Are they triggering something that is unhealed from my past? Or is it from my present interaction with them? Now remember, we talked about it last week, it's not, it's not the events or the people in your life that make you feel and behave in the way that you feel and behave. These people make me so angry. Well, they don't actually make you angry. It's your evaluation of those people and how you're relating to them that determines how you're going to feel and how you're going to respond to them. So it's not the events or the people in your life. It's your evaluation. And, and that's why it's so critical that you have a biblical worldview and you filter it through the fact that, that God loves you. He cares for you. Believe me, if you are regularly putting your heart like a bucket under the fountain of God's amazing love, it's going to change the way that you respond to difficult people. If you know the truth of God's word, it's deep in your heart. Your knee-jerk response to a difficult person isn't going to go after them or cut and run, which is typical to a lot of us, well, I just, I'll quit the job, I'll quit the marriage, I'll quit this church. I see people do that all the time. 
And, I, and when we do that, we fail to learn what God wants us to learn. God wants to do an amazing work in our life. But when we, when we respond inappropriately, it's just telling us a little bit about ourselves. We're obviously not spending enough time under the fountain of his amazing love, filling our heart up to overflowing, so then we can begin to respond to people more appropriately. And, and, and learn to be more dependent upon him and grow in our, not only our maturity and intimacy with God, but even with others. And maybe even be a facilitator of healing in others' lives. But we actually become a part of the problem because we don't respond appropriately. And, uh, and so that's, that's part of it. And so I, I was thinking about the different people that have been uh, troublemakers in my life. And so I've, I wrote a list here. And if you're here, go ahead and raise your hand so that others can identify you. And so, no, nobody here. Some of you ought to just go ahead and stand up right now. You know who you are. I'm kidding. No, but as I was thinking, as I was thinking about, as I was thinking about the troublemakers in my life, that uh, it, it started with my wife. And it wasn't for the, about the first six years, but when we hit that seventh year of marriage, oh my goodness, she was like, uh, she was horrible. Just let me tell you about her, okay? And I was horrible. Because we were both each other's most difficult person. And, but praise God, by God's grace, we were able to work through that and realize it was more really about us than it was the other person. And then after that, it became our kids. And they were somewhat, I mean, they were, they were a handful when they were little. And then they moved into about seven or eight years old, that age group. And then, and then it was when they moved into those teenage years. Oh, my goodness. Those, those were difficult years. They became really difficult they were difficult teenagers. And then I thought of the different people, that I, co-workers that I've worked with. I mean, uh, on the fire department. Man, I had, I had some co-workers when I'd rove into stations. Those were stations I did not want to rove into because they were like, don't send me there. These people are a pain. And when I worked construction, I actually worked with a guy that would throw temper tantrums. This old guy that was in his 60s and uh, throw temper tantrums. He'd be up about 10 feet high on a ladder and throw these big uh, pipe wrenches down on the floor, cussing and yelling at me. And, and I dreaded going in. It was something that I had to work through. It was, it was the worst and yet the best thing that ever happened to me. Nancy and I were involved in a church a number of years ago. It was a very controlling, manipulative type church. These people were difficult. And God used this in our lives to, to help us to be more dependent upon Christ and to, to know his love for us. And so if you cut and run, every time you uh, hit a snag with people, uh, you're going to be a hermit, okay? <laughs> because you're going to have issues and you're going to have problems. And if you'll stick it out and stay with it, God's going to do something quite amazing there. And so don't take personal offense. Here's the next one, number two. Look beyond their behavior and see their pain. 1 Peter 4.8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Ephesians 4.1 through 2, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, so of equal of equal worth, value, up to the level of your potential and your privilege is what he's saying here. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, I like this next phrase, bearing with one another in love. Hanging in there. You're not going to give it up. You're not going to quit. 
bearing with one another in love. So, so don't take personal offense. Look beyond their behavior and see their pain. So try to understand where they're coming from. And this is what I've found is that unloving people are people who are feeling unloved. Rude, bitter, sarcastic, arrogant, attacking people are shouting to the world that they are miserable and hurting inside. Loved, secure, and significant people don't act that way. Listen, if you're filled up on the love of Christ, if you know that the creator of the universe gave his life for you, and it's not just something that's you know, clear to the mind, it's real to the heart, you're not going to be full of yourself. You're not going to be hard to get along with. You're not going to be a pain in the neck. You won't be. And uh, so you got to learn to look beyond their fault and see their need. There was a song a number of years ago, I grew up in the church, and that song always meant a lot to me. It was just a powerful song. Anybody familiar with the song where he says, he looked beyond my fault and saw my need? You guys familiar with that song? Anybody? A couple of us? Just like three of us here. We're really old, aren't we? Yeah, that's, yeah, okay. There's another one back there. He, now check that out. He looked beyond my fault. Who's the he? God, Jesus. He looked beyond my fault and saw my need. He looked beyond my fault. That was such a moving phrase from a song that I grew up in the church with and I understood he looked beyond my fault no one has ever loved me like Jesus he loved me so much he looked beyond my fault and he came to this earth and gave his life for me and rescued me and has given me a brand new kind of life he looked beyond my fault and saw my need while we were still sinners Christ died for us that's how he demonstrates his love for us Romans 5 8 and so we've got to learn how to do the same the more you understand a person's background, the more you'll show, you'll show them grace. You'll show them mercy and grace. Here's what the question you need to ask. I wonder what causes them to be this way. This guy that was throwing these pipe wrenches, these big, huge pipe wrenches, 24-inch pipe wrenches off the 12-foot ladder, yelling and screaming. I was like, what in the world is going on with this guy? This guy is not content. <laughs> This guy's a mess. And uh, I just, I had to start asking that question and trying to process it and work through it. And uh, listen to this story by Stephen Covey who tells of a paradigm shift he experienced. I remember a mini paradigm shift I experienced one Sunday morning on a subway in New York. People were sitting quietly, some reading newspapers, some lost in thoughts, some resting with their eyes closed in a calm and peaceful scene. It was, it was a calm and peaceful scene. Then suddenly a man and his children entered the subway car. The children were so loud and rambunctious that instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat down next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was very disturbing, and yet the man sitting next to me did nothing. It was difficult not to feel irritated. I could not believe that he could be so insensitive to let his children run wild like that and do nothing about it, taking no responsibility at all. 
I was e- it was easy to see that everyone else on the subway felt irritated too. So finally, with what I felt was unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him and said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time and said softly, Oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Can you imagine what I felt at that moment? A paradigm shifted. Suddenly, I saw things differently. I felt differently. I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or or my behavior. My heart was filled with the man's pain. Feelings of sympathy and compassion flowed freely. Your wife just died? Oh, I'm so sorry. Can you tell me about it? What can I do to help? Everything changed in that instant. So don't take personal offense. Look beyond their behavior and see their pain. Number three, forgive them whether they apologize or not. So how to deal with difficult people. Forgive them whether they apologize or not. Luke 23, 34, our Savior, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, everybody look up here. You gotta get this, okay? Come on, gotta get this. You gotta get this. When you are blasted by somebody, when you're dealing with a difficult person, when someone unloads on you, when someone hurts you deep, when, when you're dealing with people that are impossible, you've only got two choices to deal with that. It's either going to be the bondage of bitterness or it's going to be the freedom of forgiveness. Those are your only two choices when it comes to dealing with the crazy makers in our lives. The bondage of bitterness or the freedom of forgiveness. Now, we're going to talk more about that next week. I'm going to walk you through the process because that's how we're going to end this whole series, on forgiveness. It's the most important thing you can learn. Nothing will bring greater freedom in your life than to learn to forgive and understanding the implications of that. I like what one person said, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping it kills your offender. It'll destroy you. Notice the order in in Colossians 3.13 the end of that verse it says forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you that's that's the key if you're unforgiving you don't realize how much he's forgiven you you're not living in the reality of his love for you And the more you do, the more you realize, oh my goodness, no one has ever forgiven me more. And you live in the reality of that, then you will become a forgiving person. Forgiven forgiven people are forgiving people. You'll have to come back next week for more on that, okay? 
Let's move to the next point. Number four, refuse to talk bad about them. Refuse to talk bad about them. Proverbs 17, 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. 1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now, gossip, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about gossip. Gossip, gossip is sharing information to someone who is neither part of the problem or part of the solution. I understand that sometimes when you're dealing with a difficult people or a person, you need to get some counsel. Now, I'm not talking about that. Sometimes you need to get somebody. It could be a small group, small group leader, any group of people. Sometimes you don't need to mention their name. Maybe you might have to, but it's not gossip if you're trying to understand how can I respond appropriately and honor God in this. When someone is neither part of the problem or part of the solution, that's when it becomes gossip. Gossip is terribly destructive and is evidence of your immaturity and your unforgiveness when you're talking trash about someone. Gossip is a form of retaliation and a way to rally people in your corner against the difficult person. So you gotta really check your heart in that. And, and so you gotta refuse to talk bad about them, especially when you've been wounded. Let me ask you a question. You can answer this question out loud. Not a hard question. What comes out when you squeeze a tube of toothpaste? Toothpaste, it's not a hard question. What comes out when you squeeze a tube of toothpaste? Say it. Toothpaste. toothpaste. Got it. Got it. Not a hard question. Pressure always reveals what is inside of you. Pressure always reveals what is inside of you. So when you're talking trash about somebody, when you're responding in a way that's consistent with how they've responded to you, Praise God that you have opportunity not to re keep responding that way or to talk trash about them, but to recognize that your heart needs to be placed up under the fountain like a bucket under the fountain of God's amazing love and to be filled up with his love. Just recognize that. So when your life is being pressured and you see all kinds of ugliness come out, run into the arms of your Savior. He loves you. He awaits with open arms. His amazing love. Just, that's what you need more than anything. And it gives you that opportunity. If you have a, a, a well with bad water, I live in the Western uh, Metals Irrigation District. We get irrigated water there. And if our, if our well water were to, was to go bad, fixing the pump isn't going to help what's in the well. Would you agree with that? And, and yet, that's the problem with a lot of self-help books and, and even some sermons today. It's all about fixing the pump and not about transforming the water, changing the water. This is about transforming our hearts. That's why I started with 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15, is that his love controls us. Your heart, your life... Your behavior is the product of your heart and whatever has captured your heart, that's, so goes your behavior, so goes your feelings, so goes everything else. So that's why it's so critical that we have this sense of awe of God. Our hearts are captivated and swept away by God. And when we find ourselves responding in an ugly way, talking trash about somebody, that's just revealing our heart. It gives us opportunity to run into his arms and to find the healing that we so desperately need. Now, number five, don't get sucked into their game. 
Don't get sucked into their game. Matthew twenty two eighteen. 18, but Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? So don't fall into their trap. Jesus was aware of that and wouldn't fall into their trap. Here's the next verse, Proverbs 26, 21. A charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man or a difficult person for kindling strife. So don't be an enabler to this difficult person's behavior. Be a facilitator of their healing. And I, I'm thankful for my wife is that she was not a, an enabler to my dysfunction. When I would come home and I was quite irritable when I was working for the fire department, and it started before that when I was working construction, I just didn't, I wasn't managing my stress appropriately. My kids and family was all walking around on eggshells, and she confronted me over that. She loved me enough to speak truth to me. And I thank God for that. That's, that's what we're talking about here. Don't play their game. Don't walk around on eggshells. Be a facilitator of their healing. Occasional lapses can be overlooked. Now, if someone wanted to nitpick my life, I wouldn't like that. Because I have those occasional lapses. What you're looking for is chronic, difficult patterns, habits. And so I had this chronic habit of coming home and kind of being angry. And going off on everybody. And not responding to life appropriately. Just stressed out. Kind of like that volcano. And so that's what you're looking for. You don't want to be nitpicking your friends. Nor do you want them to nitpick you. But don't lay down and become a doormat. Or let them manipulate your life. Difficult people can wreck a family. They can wreck a company. They can wreck a small group. They can wreck a church. They can wreck a team. That's why you have to deal with it. You've got to talk about it. You have to work through it. You have to confront them. Now, when do you confront them? Based on Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, he says con con, uh, consider confronting them when their difficult behavior is too serious to overlook, and it is too serious to overlook when it is dishonoring to God, when it has damaged our relationship, when it is hurting or might hurt other people, and when it is hurting the difficult person by diminishing his or her usefulness to God. I could summarize those just by, is it hindering them in their love, loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? And is it hindering them in their loving others as themselves? That's, that would be an easy way to just to look at it. How is it, what kind of an impact does it have in their life? As it relates to the relationship with God, the relationship with others. And that's when you need to talk about it. That takes us to the next point, number six. In the context of love, have the hard conversation with them. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, we're almost finished here, but I need to emphasize just a couple points here. And uh, look up here just for a minute. You gotta get this. If, if you're not in relationships that are full of grace creating it's the safety so that people can speak the truth and hear the truth, you're not going to grow. You're not going to experience the fullness of life that Christ has for you. So you need to have the context of grace, creates the safety, so that you can hear the hard words and speak the hard words to one another. That's what he's talking about here. That's how we grow. That's how we mature. That's how we increase our, our maturity and intimacy with Christ. 1 John 3, 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So it really comes down to, when you're dealing with a difficult person, it's either going to be the hidden hostilities, and then you'll become like that volcano. It's either the hidden hostilities or the hard conversations. And this is what I found, even in church settings. People either grow or they go. 
And there's not much you can do about it. You can't control their, their response, but you can certainly control your responsibility to, to hold them accountable, speak truth to them, to continue to love them. Now, let me give you, let me just read to you what that might look like in, the, in a conversation. And, th- and this ought to be, we ought to get to the point where this is just second nature to us. But I know that it's not. So let me give you some examples of what this looks like when you're having that hard conversation. First thing you want to do is clarify the nature of the problem. For example, a husband might say to his mother, Mom, I've noticed that you are pretty critical of Lori's cooking and parenting. You put her down a couple of times in front of everyone at the party last, last week. I don't know what this is about, but it seems you are seldom pleased with how she does things. You're clarifying the nature of the problem. Don't stop there. You move to the next. Clarify the effects of the problem. Lori gets discouraged because she knocks herself out for you. The kids are confused about why you are so mean to mom. Dad is embarrassed because he feels caught in the middle. And you and I get disconnected because even though I love you, Lori is my wife and she's getting hurt. So it makes things worse for me, you, and all of us. So you clarify the nature of the problem, clarify the effects of the problem, and then number three, you clarify your desire for change. Here's what I would like you to do. If it's a small matter, drop it. I don't bring up things, little things you do. If it's a big thing, pull Lori aside quietly and tell her your concerns. She is very open to constructive feedback. And finally, notice the good things that she does and talk about them in front of everyone. I would really appreciate it. It would bring me closer to you, and I think the whole family would be happier. That's how you have that hard conversation. Let me summarize what I just said. So this is what it looks, A, B, C. When you do A, so you clarify the nature of the problem. I feel B. You clarify the effects of the problem. Here's what I would like for you to do. C. You clarify your desire for change and then you say, am I missing something? Help me to understand what's going on here. Now, if it's been a while, this person will probably push back. Just expect it. But you continue to come to them as my wife did me and over time you pray that their heart will soften and you can begin to have that healthy dialogue. Believe me, that's going to bring some great opportunities for for maturity and intimacy. Once again, not only with God but with this other person. That's part of that. And then here's the last thing. By the way, uh, that was from... uh, the book, it's actually from a book, and I talked a lot about this uh, in our Boundary series. Sometimes uh, saying no is not enough, you have to do a no. And I talked about that during the Boundary series, but this is actually from the book Boundaries, Face-to-Face, Cloud, and Townsend, which is uh, really a good tool. There, here we go. So number seven, always take the high road. When you attack someone, it puts you below them. When you get even with someone, it puts you on their level. And when you respond with love and kindness, it puts you above them. That's the high road. To get even is to make you no better than the person who attacked you. So don't become like the evil that is being done to you. Do you hear that? Do not become like the evil that is being done to you. Taking the high road is supernatural. And so this is a wonderful opportunity for you to let the supernatural work and the power of the Holy Spirit to work in your life. You can read Romans 12, 14 through 21 on your own this week as you work through the growing notes, but let me summarize those those verses. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let me conclude with a story as we get ready to prepare our hearts for communion. This morning, this is a story. It's called The Whisper Test by Mary Ann Bird. This is what she says. I grew up knowing I was different. 
and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate, and when I started school, my schoolmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When classmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass, and somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade whom we adored, Mrs. Leonard by name. She was short, round, happy, a sparkling lady. Annually, we had a a hearing test, and Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class, and finally it was my turn. And I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something, and then we would have to repeat it back, things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? And I waited there for those words that God must have put into her mouth. The seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were my little girl. The acceptance Mrs. Leonard showed Marianne Bird was the same acceptance that we need to offer to others. And see, that, that happens in our life. Because you see, when you realize that all of us, all of us are broken and deformed because of sin, and by grace through faith in Jesus, he places his Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives, and his Holy Spirit whispers to us, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. I love you. I adore you. I gave my life for you. Nothing can ever separate you from my love. I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. And when that goes from being real, from from being clear to the mind to being real to your heart, oh my goodness, your heart begins to overflow and then you can offer that to the difficult people in your life. Let's pray. As we prepare our hearts for communion, the invitation of communion to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a savior. This communion is a welcome to Jesus Christ, the ally of his sinners, the defender of the guilty, the justifier of the inexcusable, the friend of sinners.